0: Hey legends, welcome along to Scheme Me Up Body. I'm your host, Rodney Stewart. We're going to get into talking a little bit about the motion picture, Star Trek the motion picture. Now, if you're new to Star Trek, haven't seen the shows or any of it, and you're a movie fan and you want to start off there, this, in all honesty, even as a huge star trek fan the motion picture can be hard work to get through especially today in uh, the world of avengers and all those sorts of big blockbuster action movies it is very very slow by today's standards and even back when it first came out there was a a bit of a backlash on it because of the over-reliance and special effects and whatnot but and that's another thing that uh, the the motion picture suffers a lot from uh enterprise enterprise glory shots and it, it just it spends so much time showing you the new Enterprise, the refitted Enterprise and if you are a fan of the show you'll understand why they do what they do when uh, Captain Kirk and Scotty are in the shuttlecraft flying up to dry dock where Enterprise has gone through its refit uh, literally where they dock at on the ship they could have flown right up to it and docked but they fly up nice and slow ...and actually pass by Enterprise... ...way out in front of it and turn and come back... ...so Kirk can get a good look... ...at the front of the ship head on... ...and uh, there's a massive, massive love affair... ...between Captain Kirk or and the motion picture Admiral Kirk... ...there's a huge, huge love story between him and the Enterprise... ...that ran throughout the series... ...and... Uh, yes we'll delve into that in more detail when we get to the series but this came out in 1979 a lot of awesome things happened in 1979 star trek the motion picture was released and uh, i was born <laughs> okay that's blowing a lot of sunshine up my own ass there um yep, 79, it was directed by Robert Wise of course it was based in the, the show Gene Roddenberry uh, was on there as producer screenplay by Harold Livingston story by Alan Dean Foster and of course it stars the, all of the original cast of the original series uh, distributed by Paramount Pictures and it was... Surprisingly, only one hundred and thirty-two minutes long, with all the massive glory shots of the Enterprise, and when they eventually reach Viger, and get inside it, and the Enterprise journeys towards the center of this huge cloud that Viger's on, it seems to take forever. It really does. It kind of suffers from uh, you know lack of pace. In places but in saying all that I am a huge fan of the motion picture I absolutely love it And for me that's a joy to watch every time I see it it's been years since I actually watched the movie properly but I actually you know sat down last night gave it a go again and I enjoyed it just as much last night as I did the very first time I seen it it is a nice Escape from reality, and that's what I think new Star Trek is kind of sorely lacking is that escape from reality. That like there's just you know, Star Trek always had a way of bringing on things from the real world and talking about serious, real issues, but it was always very smart in the way that done it, and you were getting a moral lesson without actually realising at times you were getting a moral lesson and in New Star Trek particularly I found in season 3 of Discovery you were kinda getting things pretty much rammed down your throat instead of them doing it in that smart original way that the original series done and not just the original series uh, Next Generation, DS9 Voyager and Enterprise were very, very good at doing that as well. But, uh, yes, let me see. Uh, Gene Roddenberry served as producer on this, and uh, the film was gosh, where did I leave that note at? I'm trying to see how much the film actually cost. Um, it was a pretty big budget for its day and it overshot its budget in a big bad way before production was finished and I think when Star Trek 2 came around there was a bit of trouble of actually getting it off the ground because of the the way that it ran over in the first place here Uh, uh, its final production ballooned to 44 million and it earned 139 million now that's a good payback for it but it wasn't what Paramount was was looking for Um, I can't find the original yes uh, 15 million dollars budget for Star Trek The Motion Picture which was pretty big back in 77 that's nothing these days but that's inflation for you so for a budget of 15 million and it ended up costing 44 million to get made of course the the studio was going to be a bit worried about what's going to happen here so uh, yes um, basically in this movie the at the beginning of it we come across three Klingon battleships and you see the redesigned Klingons. 100% changed from the original series. Now, I was only, when this movie came out, I was literally uh, 10 months old when it came out, so I have no memory of that. But I don't recall ever reading or hearing somewhere that there was some massive huge backlash from the fans about the... The redesigned Klingons, you know, they look completely different than what they looked like in the original series. And it is a huge, huge departure from the original Klingons from the 60s. So, to go back to Discovery again, you know, people freaked the heck out when it was released and they seen the Klingons. Like, oh, they look nothing. The Klingons, this shows a disaster because of it. But it's, it's happened before, and I'm pretty sure... Something like that will happen again As Star Trek progresses forward Uh, You know People bring their own Creativity to a project And as I said in the last video The last video There's my YouTube site coming out again The last podcast I was talking about Star Trek The the studio To get it made how to make Allowances a certain percentage Of changes to get it going And you know the changes they made in favor of the things they wanted to stay the same i'm happy enough with that uh, you know that percentage not a problem anyway plot of the movie 23rd century uh, starfleet modern station epsilon 9 detects an alien entity hidden in a massive cloud of energy moving through space towards earth the cloud easily destroys free klingon warships and uh, disintegrates Epsilon 9 when it tries to investigate uh, again that, that opening shot of the free Klingon ships is very impressive too and you know they used miniatures for the ships back then and it gave it that little bit of extra realism to it that I think even now as far as CGI has progressed I think we still have that little uncanny valley thing going on there. But these old visual effects were fantastic. But you know the the green screen that they used is very very apparent in this movie. You can see that like the black outline around the ships, especially the Klingon ships at the start of it, it's very, very apparent but Impressive looking nonetheless. This is the first time you need to realize that if you go onto Netflix these days and look up the original series and you sit down to watch it, you're seeing a version of the show that has all its visual effects upgraded from the original Star Trek. Now, I do believe, and I could be wrong about this, but if you go back and you watch. The the original pilot with Captain Pike on it. And I believe, if memory serves, I don't think that was aired until up around the 90s. So it was sitting on the shelf the whole time. Like the like Star Trek original series ran right the way through before anybody actually seen this. Bar, uh, you know, they used the footage from the cage in an early episode of Star Trek. Uh, but I'm... I'm digressing again but i think if you go back check out that episode the cage i think you'll get the original visual effects of the enterprise at the beginning of the show and it's by today's standards it doesn't look good you know the, the upgraded effects you'll get on netflix for the whole series again is uh enhanced redone not what it looked like originally ...because I can remember seeing reruns of the show as a kid... ...before all that stuff was done... ...and it was didn't look anywhere near as good as it does right now. But anyway... Uh, ...back on Earth... ...the Enterprise, it's going through a major refit... ...and uh, completely redesigned... ...pretty much rebuilt from the ground up. So the Enterprise you know from the 60s series... ...is completely different from this one. But... ...again... It's pretty much at the core. The exact same ship from the original series. Just with a very, very big face left on it. Um, Captain Kirk is no longer Captain in this movie. He is Admiral and he's working in San Francisco as Chief of Starfleet Operations. When he finds out that the Enterprise has been assigned to intercept the cloud... Uh, he takes his chance to uh, take over Enterprise again huge love affair of the ship and there's a lot of clashes between him and a few of the crew members of course uh, Captain Dacker who's now in command of the Enterprise isn't happy when Kirk tells him that he's going to you know, take command of Enterprise because the, of his experience in deep space five year mission and everything, referring back to the original series, so they're going to be at loggerheads throughout the movie. And surprisingly, when uh, Doctor McCoy turns up on the ship, even Hammond Kirk have a bit of a moment within the movie where you know he is pretty much he pretty much grounds Kirk throughout the movie. Kirk is, I wouldn't say he's, you know, been shown as like a villain character in this movie, but he definitely, there's a side to him that is not going to help in the mission with his attitude towards Decker and the rest of the crew at times. He's very, he wants to get the mission completed, but he's very Arrogant and how he's doing the thing, and him and McCoy have a moment in the movie where, when they're on the mission, leaving Earth, they head towards this giant energy cloud. Kirk ends up getting the the ship in a heck of a lot of trouble trying to get it to go to warp drive before it's ready to go. Like, they haven't even, the refit isn't completed. Uh, They haven't had time to do a shakedown of the systems or test the ship in any way, so it's heading out cold. And even though Kirk has a heck of a lot of command enterprise, he... Enterprise? (laughs) Even though Kirk has a hell of a lot of command experience and probably the best man to be in the captain's chair for the mission, he has absolutely no clue... About the, the redesigned systems, the new systems, the way the Enterprise works, he's completely loves the ship to ship the pieces, but as far as the workings of it go, he is quite clueless in this. Uh, while trying to get the warp, they end up getting into a wormhole, which is pretty weird. Inside they they're trapped at like a warp level. And they can't get the ship to come out of warp speed, and they come across a huge asteroid within this uh, wormhole. And it's kind of weird because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, <laughs> it's really weird. Whenever you get into amateur film making like I'm doing, you kind of start reading more into movies and stuff than. You really should, you know, you should just sit down and enjoy the movie. For the most part, me knowing how a lot of stuff works in films, hasn't ruined it for me. But this wormhole sequence in the motion picture and this giant asteroid that they come across. It. I'm thinking to myself, how the heck did this asteroid achieve warp speed? But anyway, that's just tasty visuals for its day. Uh, I think they were just, you know, we've got a huge budget here. We can do some visual effects. On Star Trek, that we never could do before, so we're going to rip the ass out of it completely. Kirk calls the order to uh, fire phasers on the the asteroid, yeah. and uh, Decker jumps over his head, countermands the the order, and instead gets Chekhov to check uh, off to fire photon and torpedoes at it. Which destroys the wormhole, gets the Enterprise out of warp speed and back to safety. Kirk isn't at all happy because he's just been made to look like an idiot in front of the whole bridge crew and, of course, pulls Decker to his quarters along with McCoy. Uh, McCoy decides to go on his own, Kirk didn't ask him to come, but this is where McCoy jumps in to ground him in the movie. And Kirk's, you know, angry at Decker, you know, stop. Trying to compete with me, sort of a thing. But Decker explains that the way they the ship's systems are set up. They had a fired phasers when Kirk asked for it. There would have been an energy blowback which could have destroyed Enterprise. So, of course, Kirk, in that moment, realises that he's 100% on the wrong. And he's like, you know, you acted properly. And... Dacker goes back to his duties, and this is when Hammond McCoy have the moment where McCoy tells him, "You know what? It's it's not Dacre, that's competing. It's you that's competing, and whatnot." So there is that that side to Kirk that you know we get that much, but I, w- I would like to have seen that been delved into a little bit deeper. That's kind of as far as it went. In the movie, throughout the rest of it, Ham and Decker do have their their moments of disagreements, but they come together uh, by the end of it, and they're on the same page by the time they reach Viger. The only person that didn't show up on the ship at the beginning was Spock, but he's off in Vulcan. He's left Starfleet, and he's going through the the discipline of colonel R. Which is the the Vulcan way of purging all emotions from their minds, uh, you know. And Spock is half human, so it's going to be incredibly difficult for him to do this as well. But at the beginning of the film, to jump back a little bit, Spock can't complete colon R because his mind is not settled because he's receiving like. Impressions from deep space Which turns out to be V'ger So uh The big Vulcan Mistress woman Thing, whatever you call her She's going to give him The, like this necklace thing That, you know, says That he's completed his culinary But whenever he stops her From putting it on him You know, she doesn't mind Meldwuffin realizes you know, he's not going to complete Cooling iron. you know, what he's seeking, he can't find it in Vulcan, so he leaves to head back to Enterprise, and uh, works out great because they're Enterprise's new science officer, which was also a Vulcan, died in a transporter accident before Enterprise left Space Dock to go on the mission, which is something in this film that has even after all these years, I'm 42 now, and if there's a memorable moment from Star Trek history, it is that transporter accident close to the start of the film, just before Enterprise leaves space dock. and you know, what's it's not graphic in any way, shape or form, it's just, you can see the the beam within the, the transporter, the alarms go off, and Kirk's behind jumps behind the controls of the transporter and he's in communication with Earth and they're trying to get Earth to retrieve the patterns from the transporter before the people in it get killed. But they're too far through the system and they start to appear on the enterprise but their patterns aren't forming properly. And unfortunately for the, the two people within that, the new science officer been one of them, they start to reform out of phase and you don't actually get to properly see them. You get to see an outline of someone and then you hear this oh, god awful scream that seems to just come from I don't know, it's got this weird echo to it and it's just like completely you know not an our reality sort of a thing it's just like a like a way off in the distance sort of thing and it's ah the transporter fades out and they get the the news from starfleet that you know what they got back didn't live long (laughs) thankfully so that there has stuck with me all these years i think when it comes to freaking people out with uh movies and whatnot. I think that the stuff that you don't actually get to see one hundred percent is a lot scarier than the stuff you actually do get to see. Uh but I could digress on that for ages. I'm not gonna do that. We're gonna stick with the phone here. Uh Spock meets up with Enterprise during their journey towards this massive cloud and uh Yes, they eventually they find out that Spock is there and he's kind of got his own agenda for this energy cloud and he thinks that it holds the answers that he's looking for and McCoy and Kirk both have the the impression that you know if things go belly up on the mission would Spock put his own interests ahead of Enterprise and the crew. But uh, Kirk kind of just uh, he just believes that Spock wouldn't do that sort of thing. But there is a section within the movie where Spock leaves the ship and gets into a spacesuit with a rocket pack and shoots himself off into the center of the the cloud uh, without Kirk's permission. But turns out it was a good thing in the long run. Ties up a lot of loose ends that are happening within the film. But uh, yes, by the time we reach a conclusion in the film, everybody's on the same page and whatnot. There is an officer on the ship called. Oh gosh, what's her name? I watched the thing last night. Oh. Uh, Please forgive me. I've got it right here somewhere. She's a love interest of Captain Decker. Aaliyah, sorry, Aaliyah, she's a guy She's a navigation officer on the Enterprise and he's had a history with her. And you know there's there's feelings between the two of them. She, when Enterprise gets inside the the energy cloud we discover a huge metallic ship in there. And this is an hour part where the movie goes on for ages flying over the top of this thing to get to the center of it. And uh, there's a probe turns up like an energy beam on the bridge of the Enterprise and it's going around and it's scanning through the computers. Downloading information and Decker tries to get in front of it at one point to shut down the main computer of Enterprise and fails and Spock tries, he succeeds, smashes the computer and the energy probe turns its power on both Decker and particularly Spock blasts them across the the bridge and then throws its full power at at Leia and then she just vanishes off the bridge to reappear later on in the film as a human probe, she's like a pretty much a droid, a human looking droid that V'ger has sent to the Enterprise to connect with the biological life forms that are infesting Enterprise um, we can't figure out at this point why any of this is happening nothing's making sense like, there's a few loose have been tied up at this point but we haven't got the whole story at this point so eventually she her and Decker go off and you start to see bits of humanity within her even though she's a fully robotic form at this point, there is her emotional self has been recreated and that's kind of below the surface so dacker is trying to access that to get the information that they need uh, eventually she starts the mountain that uh, Kirk Give the information that Voyager needs. It it has came to Earth to reconnect with the Creator. Nobody understands what this is. You know who's the Creator, and uh, what are we going to do here? Sort of thing. But Spock realizes that this Veger thing is a child, and you need to treat it like a child. And it's a particularly brilliant part in the movie, which I really like is when Kirk gets the upper hand on V'ger and this probe of Aaliyah she's demanding this, demanding that Uh, Enterprise is trapped inside this V'ger ship Um, there's pretty much nothing they can do Uh, give me the information and Kirk is like, no, I will not give you the information and he commands the bridge crew to close up Enterprise get off the bridge and uh, it's great whenever the alia probe kind of starts sounding desperate as if I need help Kirk, Kirk, help me please sort of thing, you know, give me the information that I need but at the same time she kind of causes bluff in this moment and uh, Kirk says you know I'll only give the information Humans are the We are the creator She doesn't believe it at this point and like We'll only We'll only give the information To V'ger Ourselves Not as Probe So there's a beautiful Part of them I love the whole end sequence of this movie Where they find out exactly what V'ger is And Enterprise Comes up to this Uh if you've been to Northern Ireland on the scene, the Giant's Causeway there's these massive stones that are you know shaped ex- almost exactly like the outline where V'ger's at in the middle of this thing and Enterprise comes nose to nose of it there's an oxygen air bubble outside Enterprise and we actually get to see Kirk, McCoy, Spock Decker and Aaliyah coming up out of a little hole on the dish of Enterprise and walking off the edge of it. Visually stunning for the year it came out. Absolutely fantastic. When they do get down into the centre of this thing, this huge giant ship, uh, V'ger is revealed to be Voyager 6, a 20th century Earth space probe believed to be lost in a black hole. Uh, 20th century, this is uh, this is set in the 23rd century, so there's a 300 year difference in there. Um, the damage probe, turns out, the Voyager 6 probe was found by an alien race of living machines that interpreted it as programming, as instructions to learn all that can be learned and to return that information to the creator. Uh, the machines basically upgraded the probe to fulfill its mission Bought this giant ship to send it home in, And on its journey back Which has taken 300 years The probe gathered so much knowledge that it achieved sentience It's a living machine itself now uh, Spock realised that V'ger lacks the ability to give itself a purpose Other than the original mission Having learned what it could On its journey home it finds its existence meaningless Uh, Before transmitting all its information V'ger insists that the creator come in person to finish the sequence Uh, They try to transmit the signal which would be the The old NASA signal That was there to unlock the information voyager 6 originally made it back but when they do transmit it from enterprise towards Voyager, Voyager doesn't get the information at this point earth and everything is in big trouble because if they don't succeed in their mission uh, Voyager they assume will just digest the planet earth the way that it did with the Epsilon 9 station at the beginning along with the the free Klingon warships. But Spock realizes that V'ger has burned out its own circuits. Just now you know they discover the circuits burned out, but Spock is like this literally just happened. V'ger did it itself so that the information couldn't be accepted in that way. So when V'ger insists the creator come in person to finish the sequence darker Having feelings for Aaliyah Decides he wants to be the one To You know Key in Physically key in This sequence To the V'ger probe uh, He gives himself to V'ger Merges With Aaliyah And V'ger, uh Creating a new life form That disappears into space And uh, another beautiful visual effect sequence at the end of the movie where this happens it is a great little movie uh, definitely it feels like Star Trek 100% uh, I'm not 100% sold on the the costume designs in this movie I like the I'm a huge fan of the, the Starfleet uniforms, and, uh, Raff of Can onwards. But the the Starfleet uniforms and this one here just feels very out of place for Star Trek. As far as the redesigned Enterprise goes, absolutely love it. Uh, it looks fantastic. I think out of all Enterprises up to this point, I think this is my favorite design, and I can't see anything. Uh, topping that, like, and saying that the the Enterprise we got in season two of Discovery is a beautiful, beautiful mixture between this Enterprise and the, the original 60s Enterprise. But for me, uh, and I do have a model of the motion picture Enterprise sitting across the office here from me now, absolutely love it. The characters and the movie. Feel very much like the characters we know from the original 60 series, even though there's a bit of a disconnect between all of them at the beginning of the movie, and there's that moment of McCoy tackling Kirk and putting him in his place, sort of thing. But that's that's not really out of place either from the original series because McCoy was always that character, he was always the he was always the guy that would rein Kirk in if he needed it. And by the end of the movie, even if they, they disconnect between the characters, the not sure if we can trust Spock or any of that. You know, it's, it all comes together by the end of the movie. And within the last 25 minutes to a half hour and the movie, we finally see the Enterprise crew back to the formula that we were you know we loved from the 60s so you know I'll probably do a similar podcast with the rest of the movies and then I'll maybe do you know my favorite movie list of my favorite movies in order it'll be a tough one to do you know that's especially with the motion picture it's 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 a very hit and miss film, depending on where you're at when you watch it. Like, I think if you come out of more modern movies and come back to watch this, you're going to find it hard work to keep up with it. It just seems to take forever to get going. And by the time that it really does get going, it kind of stops again because of just the, the pacing of it, I, I feel the pacing of it could have been a bit quicker in places but you know surprisingly you know I'm as a huge fan saying it myself the running time for it is 132 minutes it kind of does feel a lot longer because of the all the, the incredibly drawn out visual effect shots within it it's just I feel that it suffers I'm pretty sure other people have had the same criticisms of it I feel that it suffers from the Oh, we have a huge huge budget for a change Look what we can do sort of thing and, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that they did could have been toned down slightly and uh, would have sped up the process I'm pretty sure he could have pulled out about 15 minutes of this film and still Gotten the same Amount of Story in there And just tightened up The effect shots a little bit Like uh, The run around of Enterprise at the start I Fully understand why they're on it Kirk's love affair with the ship Hasn't seen it in a while Looks different, the refit Is completely different Let's have a little you know, it's like, a, it's like a man with his first car sort of a thing. <laughs> you know, no, a man hasn't got a love affair like the love affair he has with his first car. It's it's that sort of deal. Uh, even leaving Dry Dock it takes a while for that to happen. Looks amazing, but could have been done quicker. And that uh, part where Enterprise is with the cloud comes across the giant V'ger ship and uh, flies over the top of it to get to the center. Seems to take forever as well. Like it could have been trimmed, That part in particular could have been trimmed down a hell of a lot. But visually, it looks amazing for seventy-seven. Um, for a series that uh, for a movie that nearly didn't get made, I really enjoyed it. And in all fairness, uh, if it wasn't for the success of Star Wars, you know, people get into their arguments all the time. It happens with me on a regular basis. If you've seen any of my videos, you wouldn't think I was a huge Star Trek fan because in the background, I've got two uh, promotional. the cardboard commotion, promotional cutouts of. Star Wars, the special edition, I I was working in a shop when that came out, Superstore. And uh, when they brought out the special editions, I had just left school. It was my first, well it wasn't even my first job, it was like a, I was training in retail, work placement sort of thing, I was in the shop. We had these hanging all over the place and when that promotion was over, they were just going to scrap them. I picked them up and they're, they're up in the wall now. In my office. There's those two. There's a couple of little cutouts of C-3PO and Darth Vader. On the desk right in front of me right now. I've got the three posters from the original trilogy. You know. A New Hope. Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So if you've seen any of my videos. You'll think. Oh. Star Wars freak. But in all fairness. I think I'm a, a bigger Star Trek freak. Than a Star Wars freak at this point. And. Uh. And in all fairness, and it's been said it quite a few times over the years, if Star Wars hadn't have hit big when it did, Star Trek The Motion Picture might never have happened because uh, the owners of the show weren't content in how it was performing throughout its three-season run. And even with the the animated series that came out a little bit after the original series finished, they still weren't really happy with the the way that it that it ran. It didn't seem to be I never for the owners of the show they I believe they never really thought that the, the show brought on the viewers that they would have hoped that it did. That's why they cancelled it after the three seasons. And we got the the animated series as well. But uh yes, if Star Wars hadn't hit and Close Encounters of the Third Kind is listed as another one that uh, helped pave the way to getting the motion picture made. Now, in all fairness, there was an R Star Trek project in between the original series, the animated series, and the motion picture happening, which was going to be called Star Trek Phase 2. And they were trying to get that into some sort of production uh, to see what they could do with it but when Close Encounters hit big along with the first Star Wars movie they decided to scrap Star Trek Phase 2 and go to a motion picture so what we, the story we got in the motion picture is supposed to be pretty much the, an extended version of the pilot episode That we would have got for Star Trek Phase 2 if it hadn't happened. That's the rumours anyway. I can't say with any degree of accuracy if that is true or not. But we got what we got with the motion picture. And in all fairness, the I'm just going by memory here. Uh, The huge budget that swelled from... 15 million up to 45 and only made 139 million back. I think that almost as far as the studios were concerned, they didn't see that as a huge one. And they decided that when Star Trek, the next Star Trek, came out in 1982, it got a much, much lower budget than uh, the original. Star Trek had Now, I don't have those figures right now But I do know, because of the performance Of the motion picture That really was the decision For the second Star Trek And to kind of jump ahead to that uh, They had they had that little faith In the follow up to Star Trek the motion picture that when they, ori- when they eventually settled on the name Star Trek, The Wrath of Can, which changed tons of times throughout production. They originally didn't have Star Trek 2 in the title. It was just called Star Trek, The Wrath of Can. Because they kind of, even the owners of the franchise didn't want The Wrath of Can to be too connected to the motion picture because of the performance of it. So like a lot of people didn't have any faith in this movie. It was pretty much the same for Star Trek from the very beginning. It wasn't until the show in the syndication till it got its its fan base started to grow. It got cult status through syndication. So it's weird to think about that. There you've got a free season run. ...an animated series... ...so as well say four seasons worth of the original show... ...that throughout the production... ...and the original airing of it... ...people were kind of like... ...I don't think this is going to go anywhere... ...so for Star Trek to... ...have got to the size that it is now... ...is actually very, very flippin' impressive... ...because you know these days... ...if a film performed like the motion picture I think that would be the end of it but of course Star Trek grew we got a shitload of movies a fuck ton of shows that I enjoy the crap out of sometimes on a daily basis like right now uh, I sat down last night uh, fell asleep stupidly early 8pm slept for a few hours Woke up right as a button, right after midnight, and I'm like, oh, what am I going to do now? So little package, went up, got a snack, and uh, rolled onto the couch, Netflix, and uh, oh, DS9, sat down and watched a couple of episodes of it last night. So you know, that's what I find, for me, to go back into briefly, uh, an old Star Trek versus new Star Trek rant. The rewatchability of the old shows is absolutely fantastic. Like I can't see as much as I've enjoyed the new Star Trek shows, uh Discovery, Picard, and all that good stuff. I can't see the re-watchability of that happening quite as much as the original shows. But anyway, it is what it is. That is I'm going to do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed my little chat about Star Trek, the motion picture. Probably doesn't make any sense. and I'm pretty damn sure it wasn't in any way, you know, started the movie right through to the end. We jumped back and forth quite a bit. But that is what this podcast is about, is having a chat about franchises that we love. And, uh, yes... Just having a good time with it. So, this podcast, before I go, isn't just going to be about Star Trek. It's mainly a Star Trek podcast. Of course, you've seen at work. I'm standing on the bridge of Enterprise D with a flipping command uniform on going, yay! Yeah! That's <laughs> like the, the Star Trek equivalent of frigging Fonzie. <laughs> but I am a huge Huge fan of science fiction in general. And right now, I'm sitting and I'm watching that old 70s science fiction show from Jerry Anderson. UFO. Absolutely fantastic. So, chances are, from time to time, we're going to break off, talk about old shows like that as well. So, tell me. Get in contact with the show. Hit that email. body at gmail.com. And... Uh, Give me some suggestions for what you would like to see on C You can't see a friggin' podcast. What the hell is this guy talking about? Hit me up on the email. Let me know what you'd like to hear on the show. And, uh, you know, hopefully at some point we can get a couple of other guest talkers on here to kind of help me out. Because I'm still early days in the podcasting universe and very much in my own head. When it comes to talking just to a mic. It's completely different than being a YouTuber. But we'll get there. So hope you enjoyed this episode guys. Come back for the next one. It's going to be a good one. We're going to be talking about probably the best. No, not probably the best. I guess, Hands down Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Can. Is the best Star Trek movie ever made. And we're going to be talking about that in the next episode. So yep. I'll talk to you then guys. Have a great couple of days and uh hit that follow button and uh rate and review i would appreciate it talk to you then this has been a production of coins edge media check out my social media links in the show notes thank you so much for listening